The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Tonight, we're going to get in our airplanes, and we're going to go up high, and we are going to, we're going to do an overview, a little bit, and look at a bigger perspective of what God is doing, um, a bigger perspective um, on the word. So I hope you're prepared. Um, but first of all, we're going to get in our airplane, and we're going to go about 5,000 feet. And what we're going to do is I want you to think back of this Bible study. For those of you who've been a part every week, I want you to think back. So the theme of our Bible study was a woman who counts. So what does it mean to be a woman who counts in God's story? And the very first week, we looked at the woman who had the flow of blood. And, and what did she receive from the Lord? Healing. But that wasn't the most important thing, right? What did she receive from the Lord? A new identity. She was instead of an outcast, she was a daughter. So I want you to keep that word daughter in your mind because it's going to play an important role tonight. So first, she received her identity. Second, we saw Martha. And we love Martha because we're all like Martha, right? And um, what did Martha receive from the Lord? She received an invitation that could not be taken away from her. An invitation to sit in his presence, to learn from him face to face. And uh, he said, any woman who chooses that, it will not be taken away from her. So, so Martha received this invitation. Abigail, Abigail received from the Lord a wisdom and a courage to act in a moment of crisis. And then she received the favor of the king and of the Lord as he established David's dynasty. She had wisdom in the moment that she needed. And remember, she went to David and uh, said, you don't want to sin against the Lord. You don't want to take take people's lives um, when, when God has not asked you to. And um, and so God gave her wisdom and then God gave her favor. Hannah, what did she receive from the Lord? Son, she went to him in her anguish. She cried out to the Lord and she received a son. But not just any son. She received the son that was going to become the pivot for person for Israel to turn them from the judges, to turn them in to, into the kingdom right of God, to turn them back to the Lord as a nation. Oh, that, oh, that one of us would receive from the Lord, right? A Samuel for this day, day and age. Um, what, what about Naomi? She received from the Lord. What did she do? She went back home and she received from the Lord a future and a hope. And it came through her Moabite daughter-in-law, right? And God said, I'm going to write this story and it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm going to write Ruth right into the heart of it. But it's really Naomi's story that's being written and that she received the future. And then that future is written into the lineage of Jesus himself. And then what did Hagar receive? Hagar. She was she, she was a woman right at the mercy of other people's decisions. Tossed out, used, then tossed out. And God said, I see you. And more than any other woman, God stepped into her story and met her face to face. And she probably didn't even know enough to cry out to him. And he said, it doesn't matter. I see you and I will protect your son and I will give him a future and a hope. So she received from the Lord a whole life story. He came and met her. And now tonight we're going to look at Sarah. And she simply received from the Lord a promise. 
Now, I want us to think about there. It's really funny because we didn't plan this when we were planning the Bible study, but it is really funny. We started in the New Testament with one with the flow of blood and Martha, and then we've worked our way backwards. <laughs> so um, we're going from um, we're going from Second Samuel to First Samuel to Ruth, and then to Genesis. And then here with Sarah, we are at really the first major woman character in scripture after Eve. And, uh, and she's not going to count tonight. <laughs> so, um, And really in Genesis 12, what happens is God's whole big plan for the redemption of the world really begins. Up to this point, you have the glory of the creation, and then you have the horror of the fall, and then you have the trauma of that in between, and then the destruction of the world. And then God says, I'm going to start my plan for redemption. And I'm going to start it with a family. And I'm going to call that family. And they are going to, they're going to be the beginning of, um, of a new, a new plan of redemption. This is what, this is, this is the beginning of our story. There's the promised land. So what I want us to do is I want us to look, we're going to go up a little higher in our airplane and about, about 10,000 feet. And we're going to look down and we're not, we're not going to take Sarah's story in chunks. And to be honest, it's too big. She has more space in scripture than any other woman. There are 12 chapters devoted to her story and to Abraham's story. And then she's mentioned five times in the New Testament, not counting the times that Abraham is mentioned, but Sarah is mentioned five times. So more than any other woman in scripture, she, she gets in the whole story. And uh, she's right there at the beginning in Genesis 12. So I want you to look. I want you to just kind of get a bird's eye view. And we actually have to, we're going to kind of read as we go. Um, we're gonna, and we're going to kind of skim through this. So what I'm hoping is this will get you interested enough to go back and look at this story. But let's read the call that God gives to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran and he took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired. And they set out for the land of Canaan. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of this redemption story. And now I want you to look at what happens and the where the places that Sarah is involved in this story. I think it's so interesting. I want you to kind of get curious as you think about her story. That beautiful promise comes and Sarah goes with Abraham and they begin this journey. Then in the second part of chapter 12, what happens? They go to Egypt and Abraham gets scared and he says, I don't want to be killed. So you tell him you're not my wife. And um, he puts her life in danger. And here's what you're going to find about the Lord. This Sarah story is not about Sarah. It's about the, the Lord working in her life to accomplish his purposes, right? And the first thing he does is says, I'm going to protect Sarah. Even when her husband puts her in a dangerous situation, I'm going to protect her. And so what does he do? He inflicts serious disease on the Pharaoh of Egypt in order to protect Sarah. And already you can see, not only is she included, not only does she go out with Abraham, she's under the protection of God Almighty. And he's writing a new story and he wants her to be at the heart of it. Then Genesis 13 and 14 are really interesting. It's the story of Lot. 
And she's not mentioned in those stories at all. And you'll find this is interesting. She's not mentioned in any of the stories that have to do with Lot. You know why? Lot wasn't part of the promise. I think it's really, really interesting. She's not included. She doesn't have anything to do with it. He's not a part of the promise. In chapter 15, Abram saves Lot. He meets Melchizedek. And then the covenant is renewed there. And Abraham and God renew that covenant there um, in chapter 15. And then right after the covenant is renewed, what we get chapter 16 that we looked at last week. And there's Hagar. And she and Sarah has this good idea. But I want to say this. She believed God's promise, right? She, God had said, you're going to have a son and I'm going to bless you. And your name and your family will be great. And she believed him. She maybe, she maybe thought he needed her help, right? But she believed his promise. And then she tried to work to get that promise accomplished. Here's something really interesting. That whole story unfolds, but it does not actually affect God's larger story. And then Genesis 17, 13 years later, for 13 years, we don't hear anything about the story. There's just waiting. And then 13 years later, God comes again and this and the, um, the covenant is renewed. Okay. And this I have to read because God's renewing the covenant again, just like he did in chapter 15, except this time. Um, this time he says, as for Sarah, your wife. Oh, he, first of all, he gives the, he, he gives the covenant of circumcision. He gives that as the sign. And then he says, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah and I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to him, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah be, build, bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And I love this part. Listen to this part. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you and I will make him I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. And he will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. I think this is one of the most powerful passages in the world. And here's one of the things that I think is so interesting. God was not about to accomplish this promise without Sarah. She was absolutely indispensable to the promises of God. So what happens in chapter 18? In chapter 18, I, I entitled it Hospitality Eavesdropping and Intersection. <laughs> so three, three visitors show up and Abraham says, you have to make dinner for these people. So she's in the, she's in the tent making dinner and uh, she's listening in. And what does the visitor say? Where is your wife, Sarah? That's the question he asked. She's in the tent. I, and then he says, then one of them said, I will return to you next about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And so Sarah laughed 
to herself and thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, now will I have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, yes, you did. I love this encounter as well. In chapter 17, he says, I am not going to fulfill this covenant without her. And in chapter, in chapter 18, he says, where is she? She's in the tent. She's listening. And he says that she can hear, I'm coming back and she will have it. Now, this, this is the moment, right, that Sarah doubts the promise because her body is incapable of producing a child and she knows it. But what does God do? When she laughs, he says, why is she laughing? Is anything too hard for me? Are there any places in our lives where we're kind of laughing? Like it seems like maybe you're not going to answer that prayer. We've prayed that so long. And in my heart, I'm a little like, yeah, right. The circumstances no longer allow for you to answer that prayer. And God says, why are you laughing? And at this point, Sarah comes face to face with him. So when he says, why are you laughing? Um, she must have stepped back or Abraham must have pulled the tent flap because all of a sudden the Lord is talking to her face to face. And sometimes I think when we get disillusioned a little bit with the promise that we, we with that he has given us, um, he wants to pull back that tent flap and look at us face to face and say, why, why are you laughing? Why are you doubting? I will come again. Don't you love that? That, that promise will be answered when he comes again. And then um, in chapter 19, and then you have Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. And Sarah is also not included in that part of the story. And then in chapter 20, what happens? That um, There's, again, she's put in danger with Abimelech. And this is what God says to Abimelech. You're as good as dead if you touch her. You are as good as dead. I don't know that there's any stronger language that God uses in all of scripture um, if you touch her. And he protected her again. And finally, Abimelech said, take her, take everything. I don't want to have anything to do with your wife because God has protected, protected me from touching her and protected her. And then in chapter 21, Isaac, the promise is fulfilled and Isaac is born. And what does she say when, when Isaac is born? And this is how, this is how it is described. Listen to this. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The promise is fulfilled. But that's not the end of the story. The next chapter is Mount Moriah. And it's very interesting. Sarah is not mentioned in Mount Moriah. And I do think this is an interesting thing. There are some things that the Lord does not ask of Sarah. And he does not ask her to be part of that story. Do you know there are places in God's story were included and there are places were not included. 
and only God gets to decide. And when he doesn't include us in parts of his story, it is because he is trying to communicate something to someone else. And Abraham, right? That, that battle had to be fought between Abraham and God, right? That surrender had to be made there. Sarah's not included. In chapter 23, we have the death of Sarah. But here's the funny thing about her death. Her death is a promise because that is the first time land is bought in the promised land. So up until this time, they've been nomads. And when Sarah dies, Abraham goes and he says, I'd like to buy some land to bury my wife. And they say, no, you are a great man. You take the land. He said, absolutely not. I will purchase the land. I will own the land. This is the promise continuing. And so in her death, Sarah becomes part of the ongoing promise. And then this kind of got me in chapter 24. I think this is so sweet. In chapter 24, you have the love story between Isaac and Rebecca and Abraham. Sarah has, is, has died. And so um, um, Abraham sends the servant back to get a wife for his son. And then there's that beautiful unfolding story of the love story between Rebecca and Isaac. And at the very end, um, it says, and Isaac was comforted in the loss of his mother because of the loss of his mother. There is a sense in Isaac that he loved his mom <laughs> and that the love story that God wrote to him comforted his heart because of his love for his mother. I thought that was such a tender, uh, such a tender little detail. Sarah was a daughter of promise. She she received God's promise. She inherited God's promise. The promise was a son and the son loved his mom. And that was part of the story, the ongoing story. And it was really sweet to me the way Jesus works in families. And when we become women who are daughters of promise, when we receive the Lord's promise, and uh, then all of a sudden he begins to work in all those family relationships and, and use them for good. Okay, so this is what else, this is the next thing I think he wants us to, and I just want to, I want to, um, I want, I want us to think about this in terms of our own, in terms of our own, being daughters of promise ourselves. Sarah was indispensable to the promise of God. God refused to fulfill his covenant without her. She is fiercely protected by God twice from kings, fiercely protected. She's given a new name, not an old identity, but a new name. She hears the voice of God and he's asking about her. I think that is the most precious detail. The promise is fulfilled. She believed it. She lived it. And God was faithful to his promise. Her sin, her, the surrogate baby and the surrogate baby's mother is covered, right? And a future is given to that part of the story. It didn't waylay God's story. He just simply said, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to make a place of blessing for that family. But they are not part of this story I'm writing with Sarah and Abraham. And the beautiful thing is sometimes we think our mistakes are totally derail the purposes of God. And God says, no, if you believe me, I can cover them and bring blessing even where you've got it all messed up. <laughs> I can bring blessing. She is not included in some of in some parts of the story, but every part that has to do with the covenant, her name is all over that part of the story. 
her death and burial promise, and she thought. I want us to remember that. Because I believe that God said, not only is Sarah a daughter of promise, you are a daughter of promise. You are indispensable to the promise that God wants to give to the world. Not that God just wants to do in our own lives. We've been looking at all these women and God met them and met their need. But always God was wanting to do something bigger. And it burns in my heart that we would say, my life is simply part of his larger unfolding story. Sometimes we fight against the the boundaries or the suffering or the pain in our life. We say, wait a minute, this isn't going right. Wait a minute, this isn't always expected. And God says, I'm writing this story in my larger story and it will be heaven before you know how all the pieces fit together. And like Ruth, right, who just followed the light, God said, I want to write you into my ongoing story if you just walk with me and believe my promises. But I have to tell you, the interesting thing is Sarah's story does not stop in the Old Testament. In fact, there are five places she's talked about in the New Testament, and they are some of the most interesting and some of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. And it just makes me laugh when I think about where she's referred to. So I, I'm just begging you to go and look at these passages for yourself. But the first one is in Romans 4:19. So she's used five times in the New Testament as an example. Okay. The first, she's an example of the power of God. This is probably the most simple because he can take a dead wound and he can bring new life. So this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful promise, right? Our inability or weakness does not limit the power of God in our lives. His power actually has nothing to do with our ability, right? It is simply a life that says, I believe in his promise. I believe in him. I believe his word is true. And it doesn't matter if we're suffering or if we're sick or if we've made mistakes. It is simply, are we trusting him? And have we, what have we believed in his faithfulness? Because it's about his power in a life, his faithfulness in our story. It's not actually about us. And so like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, our weakness becomes a platform for God to work. So we begin to boast in our weakness. Yeah, I'm not the most efficient. I might not be the most organized, but I'm all his. And if God wants to use my life, he's welcome to any part of it. And when God begins to get a few women who are willing to say that, he begins to say, oh, then I can begin to touch my wider world. And if the body of Christ as a whole would begin to say that, not, oh, we need a platform and how many people can we reach and how can we do this? Oh, actually, we believe in the power of God and we believe he can work in a small life, in a big life, in a broken life, in a whole life. We believe he can do it all. When when we begin to believe like that, God begins to say, oh, I've got the makings of a new beginning in my world. The second place she's used is Romans 9. And you don't know Romans 9, 10 and 11. Some of the hardest passages in scripture to handle. But in Romans 9, 9, 9, she's used um, as an example um, of, the, of the child of promise. That Isaac was a child of promise and not of the flesh. So Ishmael was a, a child of the flesh because she tried to finagle it and tried to make it happen. And God said, no, this child is a child of promise. I said that this child would come and this child came on my timeline when I would receive the most glory child of promise. The fruit of our lives will be the fruit of the, the spirit, explainable only by God himself. 
everything else is going to fall away. And what's going to be left in our lives are going to, it's going like only those things that can only be explained by God himself. And uh, when people look at us and long-term, when people look at our lives, it's going to be the fruit of his presence in our lives that remains. And so it's the promise. It's not how well we do it. It's not, well, we got that right. It's not, okay, well, she was pretty talented or she really knew her scripture or she was a great woman of prayer. It's going to be her life was an opportunity for God. And she held on to his promise and God began to do something. In fact, they might not even remember our names, right? They're simply going to remember that he was at work in our lives. In Galatians 4, and we're going to, this one we're going to give a little, I just want to give a little bit more time to. Galatians 4 is one of the most, I know why Martin Luther was blown away by Galatians. Galatians 4, 5, and 6 are some of the most astounding passages in all of scripture. And this is what this is what Paul does. He says, he doesn't name her by name, but this is what he talks about Sarah and Hagar. He says, there are two women and they represent two covenants. And the first covenant um, is the covenant. This is, this is uh, Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His woman by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The, the, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city, Jerusalem, because Jerusalem, the Jewish people, are in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above, with believers in Jesus, is free, and she is our mother. It's so funny because Paul takes this story and instead of saying that it is the, the Jewish line that comes out of Abraham and Sarah's story, he says it's actually the body of Christ, believers in Jesus. And they are the ones that are daughters and sons of the free woman. Because in Jesus is fulfillment of all that's gone before. So the promise to Sarah is fulfilled in Jesus. And as believers in Jesus, we are daughters of promise. Do you know what? I think this is the most astounding, one of the most astounding things in all of scripture. And this place where it says, actually, in Jesus, the old is fulfilled and the new has begun. And we Gentile women take our place in God's story. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to watch in wonder as he begins to sort out the Muslim and the Jewish story, because both of them descend from Abraham, right? And both of them knew the tenderness and the mercy of God. And we, we are the ones on the outside. We are the Gentiles, right, who have been adopted in because of the love of Jesus. And he opened up his arms and said, yeah, I want them in my story. And I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to have such fun watching how all of this plays out according to his divine plan. And it will be really interesting to me how he makes himself known to the Jewish people, how he makes himself known to the to the Muslim people, and how he says, I want to make the fullness of this story known to you. But ladies, we, because Galatians 4, 
says, we are daughters of promise. If we believe in Jesus, all the promises of God are ours. That means we are the richest women in the world. That means we, all the inheritance of God is for you and for me. And then what does Galatians 5 say? That means we walk by the spirit. And I want to say this because I think Galatians 5 and 6, and 6, we could just do a Bible study on this, but I have to, I have to just say this because I think it's the most beautiful representation of the spirit-filled life. Listen to what it says. We're daughters of promise. We're called to be free. We're called to serve one another humbly in love. We're called to walk by the spirit and be led by the spirit. We're called that the fruit of our lives would be the fruit of the spirit and that we would live every day by the spirit of God. And then listen, listen to what Galatians said. This is what it looks like when we live by the spirit. We watch ourselves. Isn't that interesting? We carry each other's burdens. We think soberly about ourselves. We test our actions. So we're measuring, we're carrying our own load. We're sharing good with our teachers. We're reaping what we sow and we're sowing to please the Holy Spirit. We are reaping life eternal. We do not grow weary and we are those who do good that to the household of faith. I think that is the most beautiful witness to the spirit filled life. And you know, daughters of promise, we are daughters of promise because we believe in the Lord Jesus. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And in order to receive the promise, we actually have to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that we know what it means to be led by him and to walk with him. But that's not all. It gets even sweeter. Um, there's two more passages in scripture that mention Sarah by name. Of course, this is the most, this is the most famous one. Hebrews 11, 11. Um, through through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive because she judged him faithful who had promised. Wouldn't you like that to be on your tombstone? She judged him faithful. She received strength because she judged him faithful. So we are women who believe in the Lord Jesus and we receive his promise. We are women who are filled with the spirit and we are we are women who believe and judge him to be faithful to all that he's promised. And we don't waver. We do not waver at the promises of God. We stand strong, even when we don't see all the unfolding of it. We say, I don't see the unfolding, but I know him and I know his heart. And I'm very familiar with the way he works. And if he's causing me to wait, I can nestle down in the waiting and say, but I know your heart. And I'm not fighting against you to get my will accomplished. I'm saying no, his heart for the world, his heart for my life, his heart for my family is better than I could ever imagine. And so I am familiar with God's heart. I wait on him. I will not waver at the promise. I think that is the most beautiful thing. We are daughters of promise and we can stand firm. And then this, this one's going to blow your minds. The last example is in first Peter three, six, and it's the submission passage. And this is what I love Peter. And I love Peter that he used Sarah as the example of submission. <laughs> Wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if anyone do not believe the word, they may be won over um, without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your life, 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in this way, the holy women of the past put their hope in God and they adorned themselves with that hope. They submitted themselves to their husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and calling him Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. All right. Now, this has never been my favorite passage of scripture. <laughs> I'm not a woman who easily submits. That does not come naturally for me. Maybe it doesn't for any of us. We just have our own way of showing it. But as I was reading this Sarah story and then reading this, all of a sudden, I thought this in the old time, in the times of old, the holy women trusted in God and adorned themselves with a confidence in him. And they were women who had a meek and quiet spirit. And that word meek is the same word used for Jesus in Matthew 11, right? Come unto me, all who are weary. I am meek and, and quiet. The word for quiet there is she is able to keep her seat. I think that is the best, the best example of submission. And it's so helpful for me. Sometimes Jesus says, cricket, keep your seat. You do not need to speak. You do not need to stand up. Keep your seat. Isn't that a great word? So what does it mean to be women? Are, we have the freedom to live under the authority of another. And we do well. And we are not afraid. If you can think about what it means to have a heart that is willing to come under authority, I want us to think for a moment of God's authority. We are women, whether we are single, widowed, or married, we are women who trust in God and adorn ourselves with that trust. We are women who have a spirit like the spirit of Jesus. In fact, it is the spirit of Jesus, grace-filled and other-oriented. We are women who are free to keep our seats. That means we don't have to criticize. We don't have to control. We don't have to finagle. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to fight. We can keep our seats. We can live under the authority of another, whether it's another woman on a team, whether it's in a family, whether it's with a husband, whether it's with a boss. We do not always have to be first or right. And we do well. We live with our whole heart. We do well at whatever we put our hands to do, like Proverbs 31. We are not afraid. We don't live afraid. As I put this, this in line with the other things, Sarah becomes this example of faith, example of submission, example of God's power, Example of the new covenant, an example of the spirit filled life. So what does it mean to be a daughter of promise? It means all those things are true in our lives. And you know what, ladies, it's really interesting because we're living in a day. Um, we're living in a day of fear. But we're also living in a day of danger. And it's true. We can't get away from it. Um, I chose this picture. Um, I don't know if you're fans of Lord of the Rings, but be patient with me if you're not. And I'm asking that, I've prayed over this. I'm asking that Jesus would cover it and that you wouldn't misunderstand. 
Lord of the Rings was written, Tolkien wrote this during World War II, after World War I and then World War II, and he was writing stories for his children, and he was making up an imaginary world, And but all you can see what was happening in the history of our world in his story. And so what happens is there's, there's a little happy community and it's threatened, and somehow there's a ring that controls all of all the evil in the world, right? All the power in the world is in this ring. And the ring has somehow ended up in the hand of a little hobbit and at Bilbo. And then it ends up in the hands of his nephew, Frodo. And in order to save the world from destruction, Frodo has to take the ring on a very dangerous journey and destroy it in a lake of fire. And so what happens? There's no way a little hobbit can be exposed to all the dangers of the world. And so a fellowship forms in order to help him accomplish the task that's been given to him to save to save the world. And um, I have two my two favorite scenes. I'm going to show you one of my favorite scenes. My other favorite, my, my first favorite scenes is one of the other hobbits named Samwise Gamgee. And he is Frodo's loyal, loyal, faithful um, companion. And he reminds me of my husband. And he goes all, he's the only one who goes all the way to the Lake of Fire with Frodo. And at one point, at the very end of the journey, um, Sam uh, says, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring, but I can sure carry you. And he scoops up his friend who's too weak to travel anymore. And he carries him up the mountain and into the heart of the danger and um, enables Frodo to do what he was supposed to do. My second favorite scene is this one. And this lady that you see and has been on our um, advertising, her name is Arwen and she's an elf princess. And as Frodo and his team begin to make the journey at the very beginning, um, she, she, and she is part of the elves. And so if you don't know, the elves are the most beautiful and the wisest of the people of Middle Earth. And they are under a special protection. They are immortal. They cannot die by natural causes. Um, and so there's a protection in their community. And Frodo has been injured. They're the nine, the nine lords who want the power of the world are chasing him. And one has pierced him. And this is the scene that unfolds. Here's what I want to say about this. And here's what I think Jesus wants us to hear. We are daughters. What I love about Arwen is she said, I have to get him to my father. She knows the danger. Ephesians 6, 10, there is a battle going on and it is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers and powers and authorities. And she, she knew the danger. She knows the way to the heart of her father. And it is her father who has the healing and the protection needed to accomplish the mission. It is not an Arwen. She simply knows the way home. What does Romans 8, 14 through 17 say, right? It says, we are children of the father and we know him. We are adopted into his family and we call him Abba. She knows the way to the heart of the father. She is on the watch. She's on the watch for when she will be needed to take someone to her father. She is not afraid. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be afraid. She is not afraid. And you know why she's not afraid? She's, well, she knows her father and she knows what her father can do. But she also knows how to ride. She knows she is well trained. 
And do you know what, ladies? I think today is a day that we say we want to be spirit-filled women who stand firm in our confidence. We are immersing ourselves in the word of God. We are well-trained by his word so that when, so that what is controlling us is the word of God, the spirit of God through the word of God. And, you know, I think that takes intentional, disciplined effort on our part so that we know what needs to happen. And when the dangers arise, we know how to get into the heart of our father. And then she knows how to stand firm. She knows how to stand firm when she's face to face with the enemy. I wish we could pretend that we are not face to face with the enemy, but we are. And I think that we don't have to be afraid. <laughs> Tolkien thought the world was going to be destroyed in the 1940s. And God said, no, I'm not done with my world yet. And I think we might be part of women who say, we don't think God's done with his world quite yet. And we know the way into the heart of our father. We are daughters of promise. We are standing firm. We are holding fast. And we are allowing the spirit of God to train us so that while we have strength and energy so that we can get there fast when needed. And, you know, some of the ways he's been disciplining even my own heart is he's and he's been talking to my heart saying, I want to, you to be intentional. It's one of the words that's been saying to me over and over. I want you to be intentional about how you spend your time. I want you to watch about your emotional responses. I want you to watch what happens with that nudge of the spirit comes. It's, it's funny because when I was growing up, we had horses and I, we, we got them when I was six and my daddy would take us every Saturday on trail rides. And so when Katie Beth and I were young, my daddy told us, he said, now girls, you're not real cowgirls until you fall off a horse. I mean, a hundred times. So we can, I, of course, we were falling off quite a lot in those early days. We began to keep track. We would write down, okay, we fell off twice. Okay. Now we fell off three times because we were on a mission, right? That was like a dream. Like we want to be the real thing. So we thought, well, if it takes a hundred times, every time we fell, we fell down, we were like, okay, well, actually um, we're getting closer and closer. Sometimes as we allow the Holy Spirit to discipline us, right? We allow him that cleansing work. And sometimes we say, okay, Father, deeper still, deeper still. It does not mean I'm failing. It means you are remaking me into your image. And that is the goal, that I might be remade in the image of Jesus. He fills me with his spirit. And then the spirit says, now I want free access to all those parts of your life. And I want you to allow me to discipline you so that you are ready. A time will come in our lives when means of grace are no longer possible for us. We do not have unlimited time nor do we have unlimited energy. And I have had the privilege of being by those who've gone to heaven, who have known him and loved him and have allowed their lives to be trained by his Holy Spirit. And do you know what happens at the end when the fear comes? Because it does as our bodies start to disintegrate, we get afraid. But do you know what I watched my papa do? He couldn't even read his Bible. He couldn't hold it. He wasn't strong enough and his eyes weren't good. But he began to ask people to read to him. And he would lay in bed and he would say over and over the scriptures that he had memorized. And he, when the fear came and I could watch it, the fear would come. And then he would, he would, it was almost like he entered into that quiet place with the Lord in his own spirit. 
And all that he had allowed the spirit to train him began to come back. And you know, the last thing that my daughter remembers, go get me the hymnal. And this was, I think, two days before he died. Go get me the hymnal and turn to love divine, all love's excelling. That's my, I want, I want you to read it to me. My mind is a little fuzzy. So I want you to read really, really slowly. And so my, my, my daughter's last memory with her grandfather is this. Papa, love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. And then Papa would say, wait, go slower, go slower. Love divine, all loves excelling. And he would repeat it after her. Her last memory of her Papa Bear is them going back and forth with this hymn. Do you know what? There will come a day when we have no more strength. We, that will come. We will not always be women who can ride and carry others to our father. There will come a day when all we have strength to do is lay back in the arms of our father and repeat his words. But do you know what? My papa captured the heart of my daughter in that moment for Jesus. And even when the strength is gone, the training that he had allowed the Holy Spirit to do in his life bore fruit in those last moments because he simply laid back into the love of the father and he said i know what to do and i feel afraid i know the heart of my father for me i know his love for me oh maddie come on into this sacred room with me love divine all loves excelling joy of heaven to earth come down fix in us thy humble dwelling all thy faithful mercies crown Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter my trembling heart. Breathe, I breathe thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find the promised rest. Take away our love for sinning. Alpha and Omega be end of faith as its beginning set our hearts at liberty come almighty to deliver let us all thy life receive may thy presence air be with us never more thy temples leave thee we would be always blessing serve thee as thou wouldst approve pray and praise thee without ceasing glory in thy perfect love i think these are days that jesus is saying you are daughters of promise you can you can open wide your hands and say, I want to receive all that all the promises of God in the Lord Jesus in my life. I want to receive that. And he says, I will fiercely protect you like I protected Sarah. And I will fulfill my promises to you. And I will write you into my story. And the promise will not end when you die. The promise will continue generation after generation. And I think he's saying to us as Titus women, women who gather in this Bible study, will you receive my promise? And I think we want to say yes for such a time as this. We want to be women who say we are not afraid. We know how to get into the heart of the father. And as long as he gives us, gives us strength, we will run into his love and we will take though anyone who we can with us.